0: Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 108 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get rolling for this episode of the podcast, I want to take a moment to thank everyone for checking out the last episode of the show, where I shone the spotlight on a few of my favorite fellow Vegas podcasters. There are so many awesome creators out there, and it was a pleasure to be able to point you in their directions. If you haven't checked it out as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com and search out episode number 107 Sharing the Love, or find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. On to the show. Here we are back at it with another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. This time around, we're chronicling my most recent trip to Las Vegas from March 20th to 23rd, 2022, the first trip of what I hope will be many trips to Las Vegas this year as things start to open up and COVID-19 travel restrictions disappear. As in past trip report episodes, I'm going to run through some of the highlights and lowlights of this trip, including my hotel experience, reviews of the restaurants I checked out, and some general observations I picked up on during this trip. I'll also tell you about the unexpected souvenir I brought home on this trip. And being that this trip was more work than play, as I had several podcast interviews scheduled, you might notice it's a little bit shorter than some of my previous trip reports. As such, if you've got a Vegas trip planned, I'd highly recommend jumping into the archives and checking out some of my past trip report episodes. So, without any further ado, let's get this thing rolling. As with past trip reports, I'll begin with my hotel experience. I'd initially picked Luxor for my stay, as I'd somehow managed to earn some comps on my trip back in December, and prices mid-strip seemed a little high. However, about a week after I'd made that booking, I received an email full of offers from Caesars Resorts, featuring some extremely deep discounts. After deciding I'd rather spend a few extra bucks and be in a better location, I cancelled my Luxor booking and switched over to Bally's. I've reviewed Bally's before, way back in episodes number 24 and number 47, but this was my first stay here since the COVID-19 shutdown and reopening, and my first stay at a Caesars property since they merged with El Dorado Resorts back in July of 2020. Since the merger and pandemic reopening, I'd read lots of stories about cutbacks and decline in service, so I was curious to see what it was like for myself. First thing I noticed— A big change at the check-in desk, as they've gone 100% self-serve. There are no more smiling desk clerks there to greet you, assist you with your check-in, and maybe offer you a complimentary upgrade if you ask nicely. Instead, there's a whole bunch of kiosks, and the entire check-in process is automated. Swipe your ID, swipe your credit card, the machine spits out your room keys and directions to your room, and that's that. Now, they do have a few agents available to assist with in-person check-in if it's absolutely necessary, and I did notice that the diamond and seven-star registration was still available, but they're definitely trying to push people to self-service. I normally ask for a room on a high floor with a view, but because of the whole kiosk situation, I ended up with a south-facing room in the resort tower on the eighth floor looking at the roof of the casino and a parking garage. I'd booked a non-smoking double queen room, and that was exactly what I ended up with. The kiosk had given me the option to take an upgrade to a king room for an extra $25 a night, but I declined and stuck with my original room. Bally's entire property has been recently renovated, so from my experience, the rooms are all in great shape. My room was clean and comfortable and came equipped with a fridge that was available for my use, which was a nice touch, as many properties have gotten away from that and replaced the fridges with mini bars jammed full of overpriced booze and snacks. The only issue I ran into with the room was that the room safe had been left locked by the previous guests. Again. If you've listened to my last trip report where my wife and I stayed at the Cosmo, you'll remember that this exact thing happened to us there too. I did call down to guest services to let them know and ask if someone could come up and open it for me, but to open the safe, they require someone to be in the room. And being that they couldn't guarantee me a time when they could come up to do it, and I was super busy with lots of running around to do, I just told them not to worry about it. But please, if you're staying in a hotel with a room safe, don't leave the room safe locked when you check out. It's a dick move and a real pain in the ass for both the hotel and the next guest. Something to keep in mind, Caesars Resorts still has a limit on the number of devices you can connect to Wi-Fi. And that limit is 2 So if you're like me and you travel with a smartphone, tablet, and laptop, you're going to have to decide which two devices get on the Wi-Fi. And if you do decide to take the plunge and connect a third device, you're looking at $15 a day for that device. Another change that's recently come about at Caesars Properties, paid parking for hotel guests. Up until recently, hotel guests of any rewards tier were able to park at no charge. However, back in December, that changed, and now only Platinum, Diamond, and Seven Star Rewards members receive free parking. Otherwise, you're going to be shelling out $18 a day to park a vehicle at any of the Caesars properties. And this is an addition to the daily resort fee you're paying, which at Bally's is going to run you roughly $45 a night. So, if you are planning on renting a car or bringing a vehicle to Vegas, just be prepared for that extra little cost. Something else to keep in mind if you're planning on booking this property in the near future, Bally's is getting ready for a complete property rebrand. As you might have heard me discuss with Adam Bauer, aka Travel Fanboy, back in episode number 105 of the podcast, Caesars is dropping the Bally's name, and it's going to become The Horseshoe. Word is that most of the updating and renovations will be happening in the casino and lobby area and outside the hotel and will not be affecting guest rooms, but just be prepared for a bit of a construction zone on your visit. That being said, during my visit, there was no evidence of any upcoming changes, so I'm not exactly sure when those are going to be getting underway. Overall, as usual, I enjoyed my stay at Bally's, and based on the location and value, it'll always remain one of my top choices and recommendations. All right, time for my favorite part of these Vegas trip reports, the food. As per usual, I've got a pretty good mix of places I've been to on previous trips and some new to me spots that will likely find their way into the mix on future trips. Let's start with the repeat spots. Rira Irish pub at Mandalay Bay. This marks the seventh time I've reviewed Rira on the podcast, so it's not too hard to figure out that this is one of my favorite spots in Vegas. This time around, I gave the shepherd's pie a go, which is one of my wife's favorite dishes here, and if I'm being totally honest, I wasn't super impressed. I thought it was a little bland and watery, and the side of Irish soda bread was cut crazy thin. By the time I finished, I found myself wishing I'd stuck with my tried-and-true bangers and mash. The Guinness was great, though, and I will say this, the service is always awesome. The food was out within about 15 minutes of me ordering, and the bartender was very attentive tilted kilt at the link promenade i last reviewed this place all the way back on episode number 17 of the podcast if you're not familiar with the concept it's basically a sports bar and restaurant where the guys and gals working in the place are all wearing kilts i snagged a seat at the bar and ordered a guinness to drink along with a french dip and a side of tater tots I will never turn down an opportunity to order tater tots. For some reason, restaurants here in Canada do not serve tater tots, and I really wish that they'd start. All in all, it was a good eating experience. Food was great, came out fast. I did find the service to be a little bit slow, took a few extra minutes to get my hands on a menu and to pay my bill, but I just chalked that up to things being extra busy and the place being a little short-staffed. Village Cafe at Ellis Island If you listen to the last trip report back in episode number 99, you might recall the somewhat negative experience my wife and I had at Ellis Island and the issue we had with the hostess and being seated. I'm happy to say that this was a much better experience with a much friendlier staff. Once again, I went for the cinnamon vanilla French toast, which by the way, is only available until 11 a.m. So get there early if you want to have that and a coffee. Food came out fast and hot, and my server kept my coffee cup filled. You really can't ask for much more than that. And of course, I have to mention the value. All in, with a tip, my breakfast cost me $14, and I walked out of there feeling full. Compare that to the $13 I paid at Starbucks inside Bellagio for a venti mocha and a slice of coffee cake. And I was definitely still hungry after I finished that. Now, on to the new-to-me spots I visited on this strip. And we begin with a couple of off-the-strip restaurants. We start off in the Arts District in Las Vegas, an area of the city that's currently going through a huge boom with lots of new restaurants, apartments and condos, boutique hotels, and brew pubs and breweries. I was in the Arts District for a conversation with Jake Gallen, who's been a guest on the podcast here before and will be appearing on an upcoming episode. After we finished our interview, he took me to a place called Makers and Finders, a very cool spot right on Main Street, about a 10-minute walk from downtown. Known for its Latin comfort food and specialty coffees, this place has been reviewed everywhere from the New York Times and Washington Post to the London Sunday Times to Architectural Digest Magazine. Makers and Finders has a huge menu with lots of options for everyone, no matter the dietary needs or preferences. I went with a turkey club on brown topped with smoked turkey, maple bacon, tomato, and garlic aioli with a side of fries and a honey vanilla latte to drink. Overall, I was very impressed. Food was awesome, service was excellent, and the prices were fantastic. If you find yourself in the Arts District, I would highly recommend Makers and Finders. Next up, if you're looking for a late-night spot with a huge menu and willing to make the trip south of the Strip, you need to check out Home Plate Grill & Bar. They're located on Warm Springs Road, just west of Las Vegas Boulevard, near the South Premium Outlet Mall. I was there for a late-night bite to eat with a bunch of friends following a show. Home Plate is primarily a sports bar, but they're a lot more than that. I've never seen a sports bar with a menu like this. Sure, they've got all the typical pub grub, but they've also got pizza, pasta, Mexican steaks. Oh, and they serve breakfast as well. I went with the filet mignon wrap, which was beef tenderloin tips with mushrooms and onions topped with a sweet peppercorn sauce in a tortilla wrap. The server warned me that it was messy and she wasn't wrong, but I really did not care. It was damn delicious. I had fries as my side and they were outstanding as well. There are about 10 other things on Home Plate's menu that I want to try, including the filet mignon fries, the stromboli, and something called the fudge bomb. So I will absolutely try to make it back on an upcoming trip. And finally, on my last full day in Vegas, I decided to treat myself to a nice lunch out. And I chose Water Grill in the Forum Shops at Caesars Palace. I'm a huge seafood fan, but I've always been in the mindset that you can't get decent seafood in Vegas because you're in the middle of the frigging desert. Water Grill completely destroyed that myth. They've got a huge menu and a massive variety, and because the fish is brought in fresh daily, the selection can vary from day to day. For my meal, I went with the clam chowder and the lobster roll. The clam chowder was delicious, super creamy, seasoned perfectly, and was jammed full of veggies, big chunks of bacon, and lots of clam meat. As for the lobster roll, it too was amazing. I had a traditional style, so it was served cold on a toasted miniature loaf of garlic bread. came with a side of fries and a few slices of pickles. I've eaten multiple lobster rolls, mostly on the east coast of Canada, in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, where you can actually watch them pulling the lobster out of the ocean beside you. And I can honestly say that this rivaled any of those. Now, be warned, Water Grill is not a cheap restaurant. I was on my own, and between the soup, the sandwich, a beer, and the tip, this was a $65 lunch. But I can honestly say it was worth every penny. I have zero problem spending good money on quality food, and this definitely fits into this category. I cannot wait to go back for another meal. Okay, I'm just about done with this fun-sized trip report, but before I close things out, I just wanted to wrap up with a few quick little tidbits and observations from my most recent jaunt to Las Vegas. First off, if there was any doubt as to whether or not Las Vegas was back, those doubts were all but washed away on this trip. I honestly can't remember the last time I saw Vegas this busy. I'm thinking it was likely a combination of the beginning of March Madness, meaning all the bars and sports books were jammed, and spring break for a lot of folks, meaning there were kids everywhere. Now, I'm not going to go off on one of those don't bring your kids to Vegas rants because they're completely pointless. And although I personally wouldn't bring kids to Vegas, I get why people do. There's a lot there for families. But that being said, it's totally inappropriate to let your kids run absolutely buck wild through the casinos and restaurants while people are trying to enjoy their time. All us kidless people ask for is a little bit of control over your children. Secondly, I noticed that a lot of restaurants and food spots were still closing what some might consider to be early. On past trips to Vegas, pre-COVID, it was easy to grab a bite to eat late at night while you were out wandering around, or perhaps on your way back to your hotel. This time around, however, I saw several places shut down by 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, even by 8 or 8:30 in the evening. For example, one of my favorite late night spots is La Pizza in the walkway between Bally's and Paris. It's great for grabbing a slice on the way back to my room when I'm staying at Bally's. On previous days, it was open 24 hours. This time around, Shut down by 10 p.m. And third, let's talk rideshare. This trip, I felt like it was significantly more expensive to use than when my wife and I were in Vegas back in December. Now, I know they're adding a fuel surcharge to rides to make up for high gas prices, but that's only 55 cents of the cost. Overall, it just seemed to be a lot higher. It also seemed like there were less drivers, and I did find at times that it took longer to actually get a driver. On a couple of occasions, the app cycled through multiple drivers before finally confirming one to pick me up. Overall, though, I had great experiences with my Lyft drivers, and I'll continue to recommend Rideshare as a great way for people to get around Las Vegas. And finally, during the intro to this episode, I mentioned an unwanted souvenir I picked up on this trip. In case you haven't figured it out, yes, it was COVID-19. Admittedly, I could have and should have been a little more careful about wearing a mask when I was out and about. I wore a mask whenever I was in a tightly enclosed space with other people, like the elevator, trams, and monorail, anywhere that I was still obligated or required to, like ride shares, the airport, and on my flight. And anytime I was indoors and there were huge crowds of people where it was almost impossible to space out, such as the new conservatory display, at the Bellagio. But elsewhere in the casinos, restaurants, or just walking around, I was pretty lax about my mask wearing. It was just so nice to feel normal after two years of not being able to. That being said, knowing how transmissible the most recent variants of COVID-19 have been, it likely wouldn't have mattered where and when I was wearing a mask. Someone walking past me on the strip could have sneezed in my general direction, and that would have been it. And trust me, there was lots of sneezing, sniffing, and coughing going on around me. The night I arrived home from Vegas, I was feeling a little bit off, but just attributed it to travel, not getting enough sleep, lots of walking, too much drinking, dry desert air, all the usual stuff. But when I woke up the next morning feeling like complete and total garbage, I thought, "Uh oh, and I took a rapid antigen test, which promptly came back positive positive. So far, I think I've been pretty lucky. For me, COVID-19 has been like one of the worst man colds I've ever had, bordering on flipping over to a full-blown flu. I've dealt with congestion, runny nose, and feeling achy all over. I've been coughing a fair bit at night when I've been trying to sleep, and the worst thing I've dealt with so far is a fever that lasted a few hours, bouncing between 100 and 102 degrees. I'm also noticing that I'm getting fatigued quite easily in that I'm good for a couple of hours of activity, and then I need to nap for an hour or so just to recharge. Overall, I consider myself to be fortunate with how I've been affected, and I can't help but think that if I wasn't vaccinated, this probably would have been much, much worse for me. So if you have any health concerns or you're worried about catching COVID-19, just be aware that it is still a thing in Las Vegas. And if you want to take precautions to keep yourself safe, such as mask wearing, hand sanitizing, stuff like that, you're still able to do so. And I would recommend that you do. And that brings to a close another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. If you want to check out links to the restaurants mentioned in this episode, as well as more info on Bally's, where I stayed on this trip, head to the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, Or drop me an email directly at jeff at jeffdoesvegas.com.